Welcome to the Bad for Business podcast, brought to you by the Founders Fund. The Bad for Business podcast uncovers the real unfiltered stories behind the success of unconventional, disruptive, and downright bad for business entrepreneurs. I'm your host and badass entrepreneur in charge, Vivian Kay. If you're interested in joining a community of bad for business women identifying founders who also get access to funding, mentorship, and education for your business, visit us at foundersfund.ca to become a member. Today, I'm chatting with Sheena Brady. Sheena Brady is the founder of the Founders Fund. She also works in leadership at Shopify and is the founder of Tease Tea. Sheena has experienced dynamic challenges and barriers throughout her personal life and in business. Sheena somehow managed to fall in love with tea somewhere along the way and then decided to combine her passion and purpose through entrepreneurship. A portion of Tease Tea's proceeds supports organizations dedicated to the empowerment of women through the Tease Tea Give Back program. This includes the Founders Fund, which to date has raised over $100,000 to fund women-owned businesses while providing mentorship to over 500 founders across the country. In this episode, Sheena shares how she went from a college dropout to a tea sommelier, and she spills the tea on how she got on the Dragon's Den. Hello, Sheena. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to do this with you today. I know, right? Let's do this. <laughs> Let's do this. So, okay, I'm going to start from the very, very beginning. I love a good origin story, and I know that you have a great one. So take us back to when you were a kid. What was life like, your family structure, like your hometown, all that? Tell me all about it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my upbringing was definitely, I would say, a little bit complicated, uh, to put it lightly. So I, I grew up in a single parent household with my mom. She had me at the young age of 17. And the analogy that I like to share is, and I, and I love my mom to pieces, and I fundamentally believe that she absolutely gave us the best life she could with what she knew uh, and what she had. And, and I believe that to this day. And, and she's, she's an incredible incredible mom and she's a role model in so many ways because of that. But given the nature of her own upbringing and her own circumstances combined with having me at the age of 17, we both kind of grew up together in a lot of ways. You know, mm -hmm. like I was growing up through childhood while she was growing up through adulthood at the exact same time. Right? right. And she sacrificed, you know, finishing high school to have me. Um, and so, you know, that just kind of made for a, a bit of a complicated upbringing. And we didn't have, there's a lot of love in our home, but there, there wasn't a lot more outside of that. Right. And um, there were times where, you know, things were pretty challenging, but overall, you know, statistically, like if you look at my family history, like I probably shouldn't have even finished high school, let alone go to college. Wow. Yeah, but I was, became the first person in my family to even finish high school. Um, and then when I finished high school, I was, you know, most people when they finish high school, they're, they're fantasizing about, okay, what's next? What, 
college am I going to go to? What city am I going to move to? Um, but I knew my reality. Um, I had a very unhealthy relationship with debt, particularly because actually I'd seen my mom, um, try to be an entrepreneur, uh, when I was a little girl, she tried to open up a home salon and she struggled with bankruptcy a few short years later. I saw what that debt did to her. So the thing that I told myself was all debt equals bad. And so I was like, I can't, you know, I can't take on loans to go to school. Um, so I'm going to take a year off and save money and then figure out what to do. But at the time I had a very close family friend of mine. It was my high school sweetheart's mom, Louise, actually. And she was having none of that. She was like, Look at, you know, your family history. If you take a year off, it's highly unlikely that you're ever going to go to college at all. And so she found the money within her own family's limited budget to pay for my entire first year of education. Wow. Yeah. And I was totally floored by that. And, um, that in, when I asked her why, and this is like, you know, what I share, when I share the story about my, my origins with people, I was expecting like this big, you know, fluffy answers to why I'm so deserving to have college paid for. And she just answered, well, because why not you? Oh, and that was all she said. Yeah. And, and that just kind of stuck with me, that audacity. It's like, okay, well, why, sure. Why not me? Right. Like I deserve an education just like anyone else. I deserve um, the things that I want in life and, and to go after them and pursue them. So um, I carried that audacity uh, throughout the rest of my young adulthood and and career. And frankly, to this day. So that's just a little bit about my upbringing. Wow. That's, that's an amazing I mean, to know, because for those of you who don't know, I know Sheena personally, so I, I know that story, but I, I don't think I've heard you tell it in this way. And especially with the the audacity that she instilled in you. So tell me more about this audacity. So you go to you go to post-secondary school. Um, did you know while you were there what you wanted to do? And did, did her maybe paying for that first year give you the audacity to dream bigger? It did give me the audacity to dream bigger, but what's interesting, and I don't want to fault the education system too much when I say no, this. No, we're going to fault the education system because it's not beneficial okay. to entrepreneurs no, at it's all. Not. It really isn't. And especially like I have a late birthday in the year. So technically when I graduated high school and when I was ready for college, I was 17, Vivian. Like who Wait, knows? Girl, when's your birthday? September 19th. So I'm like a fall. I'm not that late. I'm November. Calm down. <laughs> I know. But, like, but technically, I started that year as a 17-year-old in college. Now, just think about that for a second. Who the yeah. heck knows what they want to do mm. at 17, right? So while I was super thankful that Louise gave me the opportunity to pursue an education, um, I didn't really know what I, I wanted. But I went to school for, ironically now that I'm thinking about it, it's very ironic. I went to school for business and I dropped out. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? That makes sense. That makes absolute sense. Cause I, you know, just a little, little story here. I used to, I went to French immersion from grade six to OAC. And I always say that if I learned French the way, if I learned English, the way I learned French, I wouldn't speak uh, English as well as I do. So same thing with business. I'm pretty sure if you had gone to business school, mm-hmm. you or if you had completed that, you would not have the same chops as you do now because you come from the school of hard knocks. Oh, yes. <laughs> and the school of doing, right? 
instead right. of reading. And that's really, yeah. yeah, exactly. And so I went to school for business, ironically, because it just felt like um, a good translatable education to have to many things. Right. Um, but yeah, I dropped out a year into it, uh, because it was way more difficult than I thought. And I guess I just wasn't ready for that shock of like high school versus college, the huge difference at such a, and being only 17 years old. So I dropped out. And at that time, like I obviously needed to work and I felt like I had let Louise down obviously as well. Cause like that was her investment in me and I dropped right. out. Um, but I found uh, work abroad on a resort. I worked in Turks and Caicos for, I was six or seven months. And so they were looking for servers, North American servers to come in and teach the locals North American hospitality, basically, because this was an island that was very new to tourism specifically. Right. Um, it was the capital island of Grand Turk. So I went there as like a service leader, I guess. And I was there to help train North American standards to um, this local resort. And I, I thought during that process, I was like, I really like this. I really like hospitality, really like hospitality leadership. I like, you know, teaching and coaching people on, you know, these hospitality standards and all of that. So when I left, I actually went back to school for hotel restaurant management and I graduated this time. Aww. Yeah, I did it. So I graduated in hospitality management and that is where I then spent the following 10 years uh, in hospitality leadership, working in incredible cities like New York City, San Francisco, which ultimately led me to Toronto, uh, which is where I kind of fell into the world of tea and started tea's tea. So that's how, okay, well, let's get into the, let's get into like, okay, so let's get into the tea's tea. So you went to the beautiful Turks and Caicos, shout out to Turks and Caicos. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you went to Turks and Caicos, you had some real hands-on experience. It, it led you to traveling all over North America to basically refine your skill. So then what led to that light bulb moment of creating a business out of tea? Yeah. So let's remember I was a hospitality professional, right? And so that brought me to building. Okay. So first of all, I was asked to build the biggest tea program in all of Toronto at the Shangri-La Hotel. Ooh. And, right? Fancy. Fancy. But I didn't even drink tea, Vivian. Oh, ain't that always, the, that's always the right? case. Yeah. Well, and like the, re the real story is that I actually am also a professional wine sommelier. And so when I said to the general manager at the time at the hotel, I said, get me on your wine list. Like, I want to build your wine list. This was, you know, I was excited, this creative outlet and this thing I was passionate about. And I was met with, Ugh, no, we have a master sommelier in training. And, uh, you know, he basically implied my cert, my little certification in wine wasn't good enough. And he said, but you can build our tea program. And that's when I was like, oh, so you want me to pick some Lipton's and Red Rose and like, just like call it a day, <laughs> I do that. right? Exactly. I'm like, no big deal. I'll show this guy. And then I was met with, well, no, actually, because we want the biggest PR worthy tea program in all of the city. And you need to not only source a minimum of 75 different tea blends from around the world, um, but you need to create service standards so that if a Japanese family comes in and they want a Japanese tea ceremony, the team knows how to do that. If you have a Chinese family that comes in, same thing. There, there are very big cultural differences between the way uh, different cultures like their tea prepared. And you need to not only know this, we need to train the team to execute on it. And I was like, oh gosh, it's actually a lot of work. So especially considering I didn't even drink tea, but I was so adamant on proving myself mm. to this general manager, this dude who wouldn't even let me get my hands on the wine list. He didn't trust me. I was like, okay, I need to like over deliver with show, this. We're going to show this Chad. 
Or, exactly. Yeah, and we're going to show him. He was he was a Chad. He was, he was a total Chad. Uh-huh. But that could be a story. A for fancy me. one, though. That's a another fancy episode. Chad. Oh, That's a whole a, other episode. He was a Chad with a charming British accent. Oh, uh, a Chadwick. Well, a Chadwick. A Chadwick. <laughs> Chadwick. Exactly. <laughs> so... I knew I needed to become educated about tea considering I didn't even drink it. So I became a certified tea sommelier, which is a real thing. And this was an eight-month program. And what was really cool about learning about tea that I didn't expect is that it was similar to my passion for wine. So the nerdiness about wine translated to tea, how the soil, climate, geography, it all affects the final product. And let's just face it, like the hospitality industry is incredibly demanding. Um, I was, I wanted a bit of a creative outlet, a bit of a creative escape. And so I knew it was easier to like experiment blending teas out of my tiny condo than it was to like experiment making wine out of my tiny condo in Toronto. And so that's, that's what I did. And it was just for me, it was just a creative outlet, something I enjoyed learning about. And for my friends and family, sometimes I would share my blends with them, um, but they loved what I was doing and it just pushed me to keep creating something more, more bigger and more intentional. Okay. So tell me about that transition. Tell yeah. me how you got that, again, that, that light bulb moment that said, you know what? I'm done being an employee. Mm-hmm. I'm going to strike it on on my own and be a hashtag entrepreneur. Yeah. So obviously when you start creating a side hustle, it's a very long time before you're able to pay a lot of the bills. Right. And so the hospitality, so to answer your first question about the light bulb moment, when I wanted to put it into like a real business, at the time in the world of tea, I didn't see the representation in the tea world that spoke to me, meaning you could have a David's Tea in every shopping mall. In my personal opinion, that was kind of like the gateway drug into tea in a lot of ways. It was just like <laughs> super mainstream, right. super accessible, almost like, you know, when you have a lot of your blends that are laced with like gummy bears and sprinkles and gumballs and artificial flavors and sugars and that just didn't speak to me. Right. Because you're but, a tea sommelier. Tea sommelier. But yeah. on the flip side, when I would walk into a store like a Tavana, even as a tea sommelier, I would be a little overwhelmed because their shelves were stocked with these beautiful teas celebrating the traditions and like, you know, where it came from and how it was processed. And it was almost like information overload as a Mm. selling point. Mm -hmm. And my reality was working in hospitality, working 12 hour shifts a day. I just wanted tea to make me feel good. So, cause I knew however you feel, there's a tea for that. Um, So whether you want to reduce stress or sleep better improve digestion if you're eating too much, reduce PMS symptoms. I knew from my education in tea that there was all different types of herbal ingredients to support this. And so that's the light bulb moment. It's like, I want to create a company that's like that middle ground between the David's Tea and the Tavanas that speaks to women like me that just want tea to make them feel good. And right. so that, that was where it really started. It was like, however you're feeling, we have a tea for that. Um, and so that's kind of how it started. And then also combining my own values, I guess you could say, TC was a social enterprise before I even knew what that word meant. I just knew from my complicated upbringing and the lack of support I had um, throughout my journey that I wanted to be a part of a bigger support system for others, uh, for other women particularly. So that's where from shelters to startups, from a very early time at TC, we've been giving back with every purchase to different programs dedicated to empowering women. Okay. Wow. That is this is a, this has been a journey so far. And, uh, you know, when they, you know, you know, in popular culture, when they talk about tea, usually when, you know, when you spill the tea, it's because you're being messy. So what was like, has there ever, like, what kind of resources of support 
would have been useful, like when you spilled the tea in your business. So um, like what actually tell me about a time when you spilled the tea in your business. Like literally spilled the tea and messed up or when? I, I yeah, whatever works. <laughs> oh my gosh, so many. Well, Just I one, think- I know. We only got time for one. <laughs> oh my gosh. So when TC, like TC really started, so it's almost seven years old, right? I just want to give context because it's everything. It's not like TC just turned into a success overnight by any means, but by 2017, 2018, things were really popping. Like things were taking off. We were doing very well. I had like full-time employees. Um, and I should say, sorry, full-time employee. I had one full-time employee. That person was also my husband and we had a baby <laughs> oh yeah, that'll mess things up. <laughs> that'll mess things up real fast. <laughs> and so I don't know what I was thinking, but I wasn't succession planning to say the least. And so here I was in labor to deliver this baby. And I had a $50,000 purchase order that was stuck in customs because of FDA paperwork that I messed up. And it was wow. just stuck there. And it was about to not make it to my client in time who theoretically had the right to turn it right back around and send it back to us if it didn't meet their deadline. Meaning I would sit on $50,000 of inventory that it would probably take me a good year or two to sell. And this is when I'm in labor and I'm fighting with like customs agents and, you know, trying to negotiate new terms with my client and and contractions, contractions and like all this (laughs) stuff. And this was supposed to be the most, you know, joyous day of my life, bringing in a little tiny human, but here I am fighting with customs people. And so, and that was because of a mistake that I made on my own. I I had just given sloppy paperwork to be frank because I was ready to have a baby, you know, a week before. And I'm just like, get this out the door. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was, that was a huge, huge mess up. But um, fortunately I was able to, after a lot of work, like just negotiate better uh, terms with my client and they they took it at a later delivery date. So it ended up working out well. um, But in that moment, it was, it was terrifying. It was an awful mistake. And I've learned the importance of of proper succession planning and delegating since then. Oh, proper succession planning and delegating. Those are, I think those are the that's the story of my life as well, if it makes you feel any better. Yeah, right. Okay, so Sheena, how did you prepare for this huge opportunity? And uh, that opportunity being Dragon's Den. Like, how did you prepare? What did you do? Yeah, I think the first thing that's really important to share is that this was actually the third time I had pitched TST to the business, uh, the business of the show, rather. Um, so it's not um, like, yeah, it's not like, you know, we got accepted right away. Um, it was the third time in a row, that third year in a row, rather. And basically what we did is we filled out the application like anybody has to do online. And when I got an email from the producer to schedule a call, I was actually shocked. I I thought, oh, wow, this is this is crazy. This is actually possibly going to happen. Um, And so the producer was very honest with me. She said, you know, we've had so many tea companies on the show, like we've had dozens. So I can't guarantee anything that it's going to come from this because it's going to be a hard sell. So you'll have to make your pitch super unique. And so I said, okay, bring it on. So that's how it started. Wow. Okay. So what did it feel like pitching? Like, were you surprised by the dragon's reactions? Like, what did you do that made you stand out? Yeah. So what we did to stand out, funny enough, never even made it to TV. So that's probably another... 
So another really important thing to share is like when you're in front of the dragons, we were in there, I want to say at least, okay, first of all, it felt like four hours, but it was probably at least a solid hour. And so I get it. Like they have to take that hour of footage and in my personal opinion, what feels like an interrogation and somehow splice it into seven minutes of footage. Yeah. So I get it. So our our, um, pitch itself, we had a minute long pitch. They even cut that down to 15 seconds. Uh, and then the thing that we did that was unique was we basically prescribed a tea blend for every personal, uh, every personality type of the dragons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was fun. <laughs> and we made some like fun comments. Like we, we said, Jim is, you know, the organic breakfast at Tiffany's. It's bold and, you know, classic, iconic and rich, just like him. Uh, and then for, you know, the spicy dragon of the bunch, we prescribed him our PMS mood stabilizer. <laughs> So that stood out and got a few laughs. And that was really the pitch to the producers that let us get on the show to pitch that exact same thing in front of the okay. dragons. So that's okay. how we how we stood out. Yeah. Okay. So what was the best part of this whole experience? I think the best part of the whole experience was, you know, being recognized on national television on CBC mm-hmm. for our work um, as a business uh, and, you know, between TST and Founders Fund. And it's, you know, seven years now that we've, we've been in business. So to be recognized on this type of national scale was incredibly humbling. And also, I'm just going to say, like, I've been watching Dragonstone for like over 10 years now, and their set has leveled up like 20 times this season because it was very like grungy, you know, industrial Denny vibes. Like I get it, like that's what they were going for. But now it's like this boss bank with like the production quality of sh- of Shark Tank in a lot of ways. So that was really cool oh. to be a part of that first uh, season in this new set. Right. Well, just so everyone knows, Dragon's Den is the OG to yes. Shark Tank. So, you know, just in case you were wondering, it's it not that Dragon's first. Den. Yeah, no, Dragon's Den came first. Yeah. Um, and then they, you know, then they brought it down to the state. So just as, as an FYI. So, Sheena, what was the worst part? Because I'm sure it wasn't all good. I'm sure it wasn't all good. So what was the worst part of your Dragon's Den experience? Oh, my goodness. So, you know, here we are thinking that we're killing it at first, right? Like the first 10, 20 minutes of the 60 minutes were in there pitching. Um, you know, they love the tea. They love the brand. They love the product. And we're like, oh, we got this in the bag. Like they're they they're eating at the palm of our hands. They're they're gonna be fighting over us. Obviously, not what happened. Uh, and I think the worst part was <laughs> we have to remember this is TV, right? It's not real life. And so they obviously had to create some fun moments for TV. That's what it, that's what it is. At the end of the day, it's a TV show. And so they really went in on some personal attacks towards me as a founder. Oh. Yeah, so that was really no, hard. No, they didn't. Yeah, they did, Vivian. It was hard. <laughs> and it was tough because, again, like, I've been watching the show for over a decade myself. And, you know, you you have these dragons that you kind of mentally put on a pedestal in a way, right? And right. so, you know, they they mean something to you. But then to not have that reciprocated when you meet them, uh, it was tough. And I guess my inner people pleaser was also just, you know, my ego was shot a little bit. I thought, wow, okay, this, this is brutal. Um, they're, they, it's far from all of them fighting over TST and, and the work that I've done to get this business to this point. And some very critical feedback, I think some fair feedback in fairness to the dragons, um, but some tough love nonetheless. And that was really hard. Oh, 
that and must also, oh, go ahead yeah sorry and I'll, I'll actually say like the most the worst part obviously is that's the point of your question um was the wait deep- wait that wasn't the worst part <laughs> no that wasn't <laughs> Yeah, so we went in um, with a valuation that wasn't disputed, and I knew it was high, and they didn't argue with it. So we asked for uh, $300,000 for 10% of the company, which means we valued the company at $3 million, and it's where you have companies of that size on the show. And they didn't dispute it, so it seemed like I had the numbers to back it up, which was great. Um, so I guess to me, the worst part of the show was really when they came back with you know this predatory deal of taking over 50% of the company, or, you know. That was tough. That was the worst part. It was so gross, not expected at all. And, um, you know, the the reality is, like, for us, it was important to make sure that we kept the happy ending going, you know, again, remembering it's a TV show. So we we said yes um, on national TV, which I'm sure a lot of people raise their eyebrows at home. And they were like... Girl, no, crazy. my eyebrows were in my airline. They were right? up there. They were up there. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure there are many people like you sitting at home on their couch being like, okay, that girl just gave up half her company. Is she out of her mind? But again, remembering that it's TV and not real life. Uh, we knew that by saying yes, it at least put us in a position to have conversations after the show to ideally right. negotiate something that works better for both parties because right. nothing's legally binding on that show. Right. Zero. Right. It's like the bachelorette. Like you don't really get married to those people. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. So, um, you know, you were on national television, you got hit by a sneaky offer. Like what was the lesson that you learned from this experience? Well, Vivian, you and I talked about this a lot leading up to it. You know, we recorded Dragon's Den in September and I definitely, you know how we're all terrible at taking our own advice. I always tell people like, stop worrying about shit. You have zero control over. Right, right, right. This was exactly that. I had zero control over how they were going to take 60 minutes, turn it into seven and what the portrayal of me as an entrepreneur and my company was going to be on national TV. I had zero control. But you know what? Honestly, I had crazy anxiety about it. Well, I mean, understandably so. Yeah. Understandably so. Like you're, you put yourself in a position, not that, you know, you purpose, like, yeah, I guess you did. You put your, pur- you purposely put yourself in a position for a, a business that you've built over the past seven years to be criticized. Right. That's like that's like someone talking about your kid. Right. And so it's understandable that you were you know, you helped you felt anxiety and all that. And it was a brutal spiral that was difficult to get out of some days because, you know, I, I kept replaying like every possible bad thing that they said or constructive thing, whatever you want to call it. And thought, okay, what is going to go on TV? And I kept thinking about it over and over and over. I lost sleep about it. I, I overthink it way too much. And uh, it obviously wasn't good for like my mental health or anything like that. And so I think like that was probably the hardest lesson from this experience is like, I need to start getting better at taking my own advice and, you know, really recognize that if there are circumstances I have little to no control over, like, you know, move on, you know, and do the best that I can to do that. Yeah. Like control the things you can control, which is yourself. Right. Okay, so, you know, if you spent like an hour in that room, there's got to be some funny moments in there. Like, there's got to be some stuff that you're just like, LOL, oh my gosh. (laughs) What? What? Tell me about any of those moments. 
There's so many. Uh, okay. My favorite moment. So, you know, being on TV wasn't my first rodeo. Like I've done a lot of, I've been, I've been the tea girl on the news many times, the professional tea sommelier on national TV and local TV. Um, but I'm normally not really talking about my business. I'm just talking about tea, but I've done enough media to know the do's and don'ts. I took for granted that Amanda who pitched with me didn't. <laughs> That same experience. <laughs> oh, please don't tell me. Please don't tell yeah. me. So when we go into what they call the rat pit, I think it's called. So the rat pit for context on Dragon's Den, for those who don't know, it's the room that you get to go in to talk about a deal, you know, where the dragons supposedly can't hear you. And so when we got offered that ridiculous deal, we obviously talked about it in the rat den. And Amanda thought that no one could hear us or see us for some reason yeah <laughs> wait you got what was she saying what was she saying what was she saying you gotta say it. so she's my hype coach right like she's right. constantly always trying to keep me up and that's what I love love about shout her. out to Amanda shout out to Amanda big shout out to Amanda like anytime I'm having a rough day like girl knows how to bring me back um she's incredible at that and that's what she's doing she's trying to be my hype woman and uh so she's just you know she's like you know it's okay it doesn't really matter like, these dragons money isn't everything they're not gods doesn't matter and that was hilarious. I was just like, oh, by the way, you have some lipstick in your teeth. Like, again, just trying to you know, <laughs> have my back. And I just looked at her with like these big googly eyes because, again, you don't know what's real life and not real life. And that's such a weird moment. And I was like, does she not realize that there's a camera guy out there and her mic is still on and she's going off? dropping f-bombs talking about how these dragons aren't gods and i got lipstick in my teeth and all this stuff and so that for me was a hilarious lol moment and i was like oh man part of that is definitely gonna end up on national tv and sure enough it was the comment where, that she made where she said you know what they're not gods it's okay i know i know i see your expression. my mouth is hanging yeah, open you guys can't like see <laughs> my mouth is hanging open <laughs> but you know what the way that she said it it was so classy and supportive oh, and they caught the classy amanda oh good yes they caught classy amanda <laughs> yeah not gangster amanda they caught classy amanda um because it could have gone gangster sideways like real fast to be honest the way she was like spitballing um so yeah she came across as she just came across as an incredibly supportive sophisticated polished experienced coo and who had my back as a founder and I couldn't have asked for a more supportive moment. So it was an LOL moment, like in September when we were recording, like, did that really happen? But when it actually translated to TV, fortunately, the producers, I guess, decided to show us some grace and made sure that, you know, it, it was, you know, it was shared in a refined way. Right. Oh, well, that's good. I, I'm glad for that. I can't wait to watch. So was there a moment while you were on Dragon's Den that you had to have, you had to like, you know, explain something like you were five? Like, I know even when I'm trying to explain Founders Fund to some people, it's always like, you know what, I got to let me just break it on down and, and explain it. Did you have that moment on, on Dragon's Den? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that was the biggest, you know, ch perceived challenge of the entire pitch is that the Dragons couldn't possibly wrap their mind around the fact that I had this tea company but I also had a secondary sister company called Founders Fund and that just didn't compute with them. And I tried to explain social impact and, you know, explaining to them that 
you know, basically how Founders Fund started as this modest give back program under TST and then blew up into something bigger. And we really wanted to nurture that in our commitment to support underrepresented women identifying entrepreneurs. And their whole thing was like, you can't, you shouldn't be doing both. Like you should be focusing on one business and make sure you have all the wrinkles ironed out before you dare start another venture. And it's like, no, it's not like I was just starting another business for the sake right. of it. And yeah. woke up, decided yeah. to do that. But side note, how many businesses do they all own collectively, right? Ooh. So I, <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah, they didn't quite, they didn't quite get it. They didn't quite that understand that uh, TST is an e-commerce, you know, is more e-commerce based, whereas this is a digital accelerator. Like exactly. Very different businesses. And they tried when they were being critical about me as a founder, like that's really the angle that they zeroed in on that I was this, you know, perceived as this unfocused founder because I had competing interests between both organizations. And so that was so tricky and challenging to have to explain. Yeah, I would. I'm offended for you. My feelings are hurt for you because I would be insulted too because they don't know you, Sheena. They don't know you. <laughs> right? <laughs> Okay, so Sheena, what are three words that you would like people to associate with you? I think tenacious should be one of them. Tenacious is a good one. Yeah, yes. you've got that tenacity. Tenacity. T, I like get that. it? Get it? Yeah, tenacity. this is so good. Oh, okay, okay, I'm going to put that in my back pocket. That could be a new product. Yeah, you tenacity. Yeah, it's so yeah, good. You can have that. That's aligned with our new tea that's coming out called Aim Chai. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I'm a sucker for a good pun. That's a great mom joke. Yeah, I know. I'm just like a, such a sucker for a good pun. Terrible. That's terrible. I know. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. The other two. Okay. So the other two words, I'm just going to like put them together. This is actually what I be, I'm, I'm kind of called around the office, but intensely kind. <laughs> so I can be intense, you know, like I, I'm a very intense person. You'll never have to guess how I'm feeling or how I'm doing or what mood I'm in. Like I, I just kind of show up as my whole self. Like I'm just, mm -hmm. if I'm, if I'm worried about something, like we're going to talk about it. Um, if I'm happy about something, I'm probably going to be over, you know, over the moon and almost crying about it. Like I'm emotional to a fault. Um, but as intense as I can be, uh, or I am rather, there is a, there's a, a deeply rooted kindness there. Um, and it's just, that's, it, I don't know. So intensely kind. It's like, even though I'm an intense person, there's a lot of kindness behind it. There's a lot of high trust assumed behind it. Oh, great. So Sheena, what makes you bad for business? I keep showing up even when I probably shouldn't. Mm. I think that's what it is. <laughs> and I mean that in the best way. Like I keep showing up like throughout my whole, you know, journey from childhood to who I am as a woman and career, everything today. Uh keep showing up even when you're underestimated, even when people say you don't have a real business, you just have a hobby, even when people challenge your leadership. Um, keep showing up and just keep trying to do better. I didn't have everything figured out from day one, but I've been learning since day one. That's that tenacity. That's right. That's yeah. fascinating. Well, thank you ever, ever so much for joining me, Sheena. My pleasure, Vivian. This is great. This has been another episode of your favorite unconventional and unfiltered business podcast, Bad for Business. I'll see you again next week where I'll be finding out the real stories behind the success of another Bad for Business entrepreneur. Be sure to connect with the Founders Fund community at foundersfund.ca.